The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Can a man's nose be so big you want to turn his nipples into shoes? What? And then we take a look at two stories about UFO abductions that didn't happen. Why is it that sometimes aliens abduct someone and go, nah, never mind. We'll find out today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. We got a lot of stuff to cover, so there's not much of a preamble. However... I do want to give a shout out to one of our legacy Patreon supporters, someone who's been supporting the show for a long time, Mason Nordbeck. Really, really appreciate that you still support the show. We're giving you the keys of the Carpenter Copter this time. First off, we're headed out to Powder River in Wyoming. And we're actually also going back in time. So fire up that time machine. It's the year 1878. It's August 16th. And notorious bandit George Parrott... He's hiding in the bushes with his gang of rascals. Hey, guys, we got our guns ready. We're going to shoot some train people. We're going to steal what's ever on the train because we're bad guys. Now, George Parrott, that's a pretty good name. That's that's not his, like, thief name, right? Because you got to have a thief name. George Parrott, he could be, like, the talking... I wonder if parrots were popular, actually, back then. I wonder when parrots became popular because if you think about it, in 1878, you wouldn't know about a parrot unless you, like, met a parrot or saw one. If you read about it in a book, you would assume it was made up. You're like, what? Talking birds. I wonder if they knew about parrots back then. We didn't even know dinosaurs really existed until like the 1880s. Like until we started digging for oil and coal and digging deep and started finding these giant bones. Some cultures had uncovered monster heads. I was talking to Sabine about this the other day. She said that the story of the Cyclops is because they'd find these mammoth skulls with a giant eye hole in the middle of it. So you'd have stuff like that, but dinosaurs as a species, nobody knew what they were until we were digging deep enough for coal and oil to discover them. And uh, dinosaurs and birds are related, so possibly people in Wyoming didn't know what a parrot was. No. They just thought he had a weird last name. No. His name wasn't the talking bird or the talking criminal or any parrot-related thing. The foliage felon or anything like that. Wait, that's that's grass. Isn't it foliage? Anyways, it doesn't matter. Point is, is that that had nothing to do with his nickname, and that was like a three-minute ramble. His name was Big Nose George. Now, you'd think, how big of a nose do you have to have that not only do other criminals call you Big Nose George, but the, the population at large calls you Big Nose George. This guy's nose was so huge. It plays an important factor later on in this story. It has to be massive. It has to be the size of a parrot, basically, is what I'm saying. Big Nose George is hiding in the bushes. He has an extra bush just to cover up his giant nose. And his other bad guys are sitting in the bushes. And he's waiting for this Union Pacific train to come by. And what happens is, like, a work crew is walking by. And they see, they see a little bit of nose. They see, no matter how many bushes are there, they see a little bit of a nose sticking out of a bush. They go, they get the cops. And the cops show up at the scene. Big Nose George and you band wrestlers. Hop on out of them bushes. 
And Big Nose George and his gang hopped out of the bushes and killed everybody. Killed all the lawmen that were there. Chopped their bodies up and just threw them away. Now, that's not good, right? Like, I mean, you first you think, oh, these guys are like bank robbers. And they have like a mask. And like Big Nose George has like four masks tied together to hide his nose. But it's not like a fun, they hop on a train and it's not like a train robbery that you go on like a themed dinner with your girlfriend. They're chopping up police officers. Obviously, they are on the run, definitely now. Whatever they wanted to get from the train, now they're on the run. $10,000 reward, if you can imagine that back then. That's like Bill Gates money. That's Bill Gates money in 1878. They're on the run. They get caught, though, so the story wouldn't be... (laughs) The story's not, he just goes on the run. He gets caught. They're ready to lynch him, and he's like, no, 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 no. I have a bunch of secrets I can tell you, a bunch of really cool secrets. I'll show you how to do these magic tricks. Whatever, whatever he does, he's able to convince them not to hang him right then. They take him to jail. And then while he's in jail, he figures out a way to break out. He has like a lockpick thing, hit up his giant nose. He unlocks the door, he beats the dude up, he runs out of the jail, right into the arms of a lynch mob. And then, despite his pleas, oh no, no, I got all these awesome secrets, dude, no, no, they hang him. And it takes him three different times for him to die. So I don't know if they built like a gallows and then it fell apart. And then they're like, let's hang him from a tree. Like, I don't know if they just kept raising the same rope over again or what. But they had so many mishaps, it took three times for this dude to die. Big Nose George is dead. The town celebrates. Yeah, it's just lifeless bodies hanging there. They're like, yeah, yeah. But what do you do with this dead body? Nobody really wants to do much with it. I mean, they've they've had their fun. They killed this guy. Two local doctors, Thomas Maghee and John Osborne, decide, they say, we'll take the body. We'll take the body, right? Now... Before they take possession of the body, uh, this is what's confusing about it, because the doctors are start messing around with the body, but before they do that, they do put him in a coffin, and this is why we get to how big this guy's nose is. So, I guess they hang him, they put him in a coffin, and then the doctors, after all the trouble they go through to get him in the coffin, the doctor's like, no, 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 we want the body, we want the body. They, they were late to the party, apparently. They take Big Nose George, they put him in the coffin, and they can't get the lid on Here's a quote from this article about this uh, the big nose, George. The nose of the dead man was so large that it interfered with the lid of the coffin. Oh, come on. And excess pressure had to be exerted to close it and nail it down. How? That's impossible, right? How big does your nose... I used to work in a mortuary, crematory. You guys have all seen coffins either on television or in real life or whatever. You're a vampire, you live in one, you're like, oh, that's impossible. How, your nose would have to be like a foot long for a coffin lid. The only way, that's not his nose being big. That's you making a a crummy coffin. You did not measure that coffin right. Although I guess if they're lynching him, it's not like they had a pre-made coffin. They planned on killing him later. But still, like a normal man's coffin should be able to account for a normal sized schnoz. Even a one of a large Come on, you can't... It's like when you're sitting on a suitcase so you can close it. That's that's impossible. Well, you can sit on a suitcase to close it, but there's no way his nose was that big, right? But apparently it was, and they're like, Ugh! Jimmy, come over here, jump on this coffin! They hear the breaking of the cartilage. They're finally able to get the coffin nailed down. But then the two doctors, Thomas McGee and John Osborne, show up and go, Whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. We want to steady this body for science. Oh, dang it. You could have told him this 10 minutes ago before we broke this dude's nose. They open it up. The doctors take his brain out to measure it because this guy was so evil. He's chopping up police officers and juggling their body parts and all sorts of horrible stuff. 
Brain is just normal brain, obviously. They then go, okay, well, that's part of the science thing's done, but we still have access to this notorious man's body. Right? We just can't, like, bury this, right? The two doctors are looking at each other. They're like, ka-ching! Little money signs in their eyeballs. They saw... Well, they already sawed his head off to get his brain. So now they have his skull cap. And they actually give that to their 15-year-old assistant. <coughs> Lillian Heath. It's this young teenage girl. They're like... She's sitting there, bleh, throwing up in the corner. And they're like, here you go. Here's something to throw up in. She looks down to human hair on it. Bleh! Throws up even more... They give her the skull cap of this notorious villain. Dr. Osborne begins cutting the skin off the dude. He takes skin off the thigh, the chest, and specifically takes to the nipple area. McGee's like, what? What are you doing? He's like, I am going to have some things made. I'm going to send these things off and get these made. And he contacts a guy who does leather work. And he's like, this is 100% true. This is a true story. We can track this stuff down through history. He goes... I would like you to make me a pair of shoes and a leather doctor's bag. So when I go to visit patients in the little house on the prairie, when I go out to their little house in the middle of nowhere, I can set down my leather bag and I can look at little Darla's knee and make sure that that little scrape has put some old-timey Neosporin on it. And the whole time, there's dead human flesh sitting in this house. Isn't that a great idea? So he does. The leather man's like, yeah, sure, give me money. I'll do whatever. He gets the shoes back. Now, he's disappointed. Because what he expected, and I'm sure, I don't know if he specifically implied this or if he just assumed the leather worker would know. He expected, no joke, to have a nipple on each shoe. So when he was walking around, he'd be like, hey, Dr. Osborne, how you doing? And he'd be like, um, notice anything different about me? Huh? Huh? You notice? He'd put his feet up in the air. He's doing high kicks. Like, why are you doing that? Why are you jumping ropes so you're as high as me with each jump? He wanted a nipple. That's gross. What I bet happened was when they were curing the the flesh, it all shrank down. And, like, the nipple was on the wrong side. But anyway, so he did get human shoes. Not human shoes. He did get shoes made of human flesh. But the nipples were not. He wanted them, like, right on the front. Right where you could see them. There's no point having, like, a nipple on the inside. That would actually probably not be good for your foot. And then he did get a bag of human flesh, though. Not a bag full of human flesh. He probably had that already because this guy sounds kind of nuts. But he had like a medical bag made out of um, big nose George's flesh. Now, they also took a death mask, which was kind of the trend of the time. So they had that, but that was kind of nothing. I mean, who would know? Not many people have human shoes. And they, they took what was left of his body, this skinless, brainless corpse, and they just threw it in a barrel of brine and salt. Just let it sit there for a while. Now, flash forward. This is where the story gets really weird because it's possible that Big Nose George, <laughs> he's possible that he was a good luck charm. He was basically a living four-leaf clover. Lillian Heath, who got the skull cap, became the first female doctor in Wyoming. So that, that's a big accomplishment, right? And you were talking about like 1870s. So there was she's probably the first female doctor within like the next 10 states next to her. She kept that skullcap the entire time and eventually turned it into an ashtray holder. And then eventually she turned it into a doorstop. So you'd walk into her office and she'd be like, Hey guys, come on, sit in my office. I want to talk to you about your latest tuberculosis results, i.e. you have it. And the door would be propped open, the little skullcap of Big Nose George. Dr. Osborne, who wore these shoes everywhere, 
became the first Democrat governor of Wyoming. He wore them to his inaugural ball. Like I said, he was showing these off everywhere. And eventually, he became assistant secretary of state to Woodrow Wilson. So they, I don't know what happened to McGee. He's probably like, gross, I don't want any body parts. And then he just kind of disappeared into obscurity. They did, though, eventually find in the backyard of one of these doctors a big barrel, like buried in the backyard with a skeleton in it. So they just basically, they let the body just kind of float around in liquid for a while. And eventually it all liquefied and dissolved. And they're like, ah, whatever. Just buried in the backyard. You can go to this local museum out there, the Carbon County Museum, and you can see the shoes and the skull cap. No one knows what happened to the bag. But I will say this, based on the pedigree of the skull cap and the shoes, if you find that bag, I can almost guarantee you'll have nothing but good luck. Or be haunted by the ghost of a man with a massive nose who dismembers law enforcement. So either or, you know, pick your poison with that one. Let's go ahead and move on to our next story. Our next story is actually two stories, and it's kind of what I said in the intro. People who get abducted, but things don't really work out. Now, both of these stories take place in the year 1989. Both of these stories I got from that website, thinkaboutitdocs.com. Both of these stories happened in the Soviet Union. Like I said, in 1989, there was a huge explosion of UFO reports and alien reports coming out of the Soviet Union. It's a very, very odd phenomenon. I think it's just news was finally getting out to their west. First off, we're headed to a place called Subotino in the Perm region in Russia. So Mason, fire back up that Carpenter Copter. Take us to the year 1989 and fly us out. We're going to have to be in stealth mode because we currently are in a Cold War with the Soviet Union. And this is an American helicopter. So stealth mode coming over the area. July 29th, 1989. There's a journalist named Pavel Merkortov. Merkotov, which is what that cat always said. Heavens to Merkotov. Okay, I'm sorry. That joke was bad. Um, anyway, so Pavel, and I apologize to you, Pavel, he's walking down by this river called the Silva River, or the River Silva, because sometimes they say stuff backwards over there. And a UFO appears. <laughs> And then he sees these tall, glow-in-the-dark aliens hop out of the hop out of the UFO. So not the typical grays. They're actually taller and they're luminescent, bioluminescent. Now Pavel is a journalist. He's like, whoa, like this is the scoop of a century. Scoop of the millennium. We have alien life. It's actually true. He begins talking to him, and the aliens are communicating to him telepathically, and he's asking them questions, he's getting this info from them. So he's having this telepathic conversation with these aliens. We don't get a lot of information on what the conversation's about. We just get two little nuggets. One, they're from the Libra constellation, which is cool because that's my uh, horoscope sign. So what's up, aliens? I get the tall bioluminescent one. You get those lame gray ones, loser. Bam, October babies in the house. Anyways, he's talking to these aliens. They tell him they're from the Libra constellation. Now he says, I want to go with you. He's a journalist. Journalists will go into war zones. They'll go into narco factories. They'll go to all these weirdo places because they want the scoop. They want the truth. He says, take me back with you. And they tell him, no, we will not abduct you because we believe you will bring, quote, thought bacteria, unquote. The aliens leave. Now, this is an interesting story because we have some specifics, which is stuff we always want to look at in these stories. We have a date. We have an exact date, July 29th, 1989. We have a name. Now, those can still be faked, but it's more liable to be fake when it's like sometime in the 80s. 
a guy named Joe, not his real name, you're like, come on, dude. Like, I get it why people don't want to be super forthcoming, but the more information that we have, the easier it is to, I don't want to say believe it, but it's a little less unbelievable, if that makes sense. This was reported in a in a, a um, magazine back in the day. But it, again, it was a Soviet Union magazine that was looking at all this stuff. So we have this guy saying this, and the, the question, and that's really the whole story there. The aliens leave, and he's like, what thought bacteria? But it's interesting because we always think of actual bacteria, right? Like, how if aliens came here, would they all get sick and die? If we went up there, would we get sick and die? Like, what would go on? How do, how, but the idea of somebody coming from Earth, going to an alien planet, I think it would be, you can easily decontaminate someone for biological entities. You can put someone in a ship and they go into that chamber and it's all pssss and the smoke's coming out and you come out and you're just in your underwear and like you're getting deloused and all. You can take care of, we can do that when you get arrested. When you get arrested, the first thing they have to do is deloush you because they don't know if they arrested you from a mansion or from the slums. Well, they know because that's where the cops don't just drop you off and go figure it out. But they need to make sure you don't have lice, you don't have scabies, none of that stuff. They got to deloush you. So that you would do that on a spaceship. But could you, you couldn't stop thought bacteria. You couldn't stop him going up there and being like, man, this sure is an awesome place. But you know what would be more awesome? If everyone had a, like every single one of you had one vote. And then that's the way you guys decided stuff. And the aliens are like, what? We ne-. Because we don't know what they would be like. And that's very, kind of an interesting thing. I don't want to go too up on a segue because I have another story here, but. If it if it had been for like the fall, if Greece had fallen early on, like if you had the early examples of democracy fall, it's possible that we would have no concept of democracy now. Like it might be somewhere in the back of our head that one person, one vote, or a House of Representatives. But it's quite possible that you would have had a culture be like, hey, let's do this representative thing. And then they just totally get wiped out. And then you just have monarchs and kings and monarchs and kings and then religious um, empires and stuff like that. And you may in the back of your mind go, "Mm, maybe, but I don't, it, it would, you would need to figure out a way to clamp down on that stuff. Not democracy. Democracy is awesome. But what I'm saying is that if you had an alien race that was 10,000 years more advanced than us, but had never thought of capitalism or communism or democracy or free speech none of those concepts ever came about their evolutionary path and you'd have these aliens come down and they'd be like this is a really cool place to visit because there's this intelligent life but they have some really wacky ideas about like society and the way things work so we'll send down our strongest willed people and then when they come back they have to be basically debriefed and told how stupid those things are But if we take one of these people back with us, the chances of everyone on our planet wanting to meet this guy and him blurting out something like, oh, yeah, I just kind of say what I want. And then, like, you kind of have to deal with it. You can't stop me from saying it. He'll be like, what? What? So it's interesting for the aliens to not be worried about a biological hazard, but a thought hazard. That's something this guy could say could actually infest their entire species. Interesting, interesting thought. But we have another story of a guy who didn't get abducted. Or did he? This is an interesting one. Let's hop on over to Siberia. West Siberia. We're in the Akhtash 
region. This is where the Klingons originated from, apparently. The year is 1989. And this is according to a retired major, I.A. Samoylenko. Samoylenko. So Major Samoylenko told this story far after it had taken place. Apparently, he was working at this base in West Siberia. There was a young soldier there who was working guard one night at this base. Don't mess around with guard duty. You don't mess around with guard duty. That's like the one thing you can't mess around with. Well, you know that and like, don't don't shoot any of the good guys. But you can't mess around with guard duty. Because that means you're putting everyone else, it's kind of self-explanatory, but you're putting everyone else at risk. So when this young dude, we'll call him Pavel, because that's one of the few Russian names I know. Pavel goes missing, because we don't have his actual name. Pavel goes missing. Everyone's like, first off, you're going to assume the worst. You're going to assume something's going on. And then after a couple hours when there hasn't been a massive raid from rogue Mongolians or the CIA's not going in, cutting people's throats in the middle of the night, you're going to go, he must have deserted. So now you're not afraid, intense. Now you're just really mad because this guy's supposed to be at his post. First off, you're thinking he probably got assassinated. Some ninja crawled up, stuck him in the brain. Three days later, five kilometers from the base, they find him terrified in the wilderness. (gasps) He's just cowering by a tree and the soldiers are like, bro, dude, where have you been, man? We thought you were dead. Then we thought you ran away and now you're cowering. What's going on? (gasps) I I don't remember. I don't remember. (sighs) Now, obviously, everyone, now you're back to being nervous. Go, he probably didn't run away, but something happened to this guy. Now, they have to figure out what happened to him, right? So, it's 1989, Soviet Union. You have a guy who's deserted his post, doesn't remember where he's at. How do you get the information from this guy? There's only one answer to this. The worst possible answer, the KGB. They're a Soviet Union, brutal, brutal secret police, shows up at the base, and they go... Uh, Pavel, where were you? Uh, he really wants to remember at this point. He really, really wants to remember at this point. But he can't. So the KGB is like, okay, well, well, young Pavel, we will help you remember. We will spend as long as it takes to help you remember. Now, eventually he does. Um, I love this quote from this article. After a long rehabilitation period and therapy on him conducted by officers of a special military KGB detachment. Yeah, the long therapy is them basically, what do you know, punch? I don't remember. What do you know? I mean, so many of these other stories are just like, it's weird. I don't remember what happened. Oh, I will just go to this hypnotist and be like, you're getting sleepy. And then they'll remember flashes. This guy goes through, quote, therapy. Conducted on him by the officers of the KGB. Finally, he remembers what's going on. He's at the guard post and... Blinding light. And the next thing he knows, he's in a room with walls that had no lights on them, but they emitted a bluish light themselves. He hears the voice of what he says is either a female or a child. He couldn't place the voice. But he hears a voice. Greetings. You are going to go on a long journey. And we are going to test you. We are from the Gemini constellation. And we need a hero. We need to choose someone 
for an honorable mission that will help a great civilization across the stars. You will be tested. And if you pass, you will be that hero. He falls unconscious after this message. And the next thing he knows, he's on what is typical UFO lore, a medical bed. And all of a sudden, there are these humanoids standing around him, no faces. And they begin poking and prodding and looking at him, discussing him. And each press and push and pull, unbearable pain throughout his body. And then, in the final moment, nothing but pure angelic bliss. And then he's in the woods, cowering, waiting to be found. The KGB heard this story, and they diagnosed him to be insane. They believed that he simply left his post. That this is an impossible story, and he's gone insane. One, he's gone insane because he left his post knowing full well what would happen to him. Two, this is not true. This story is impossible. This is not a true story. He was diagnosed with insanity. He was thrown into a mental hospital. Shortly afterwards, he contracted what... we They don't know what it was. It was discussed as a fulminating disease. So radiation sickness, whatever. It was a disease where he was basically dissolving. He was going downhill very, very quickly. And within a month and a half after being found in the woods, he was dead of this unknown disease. There's two ways to read this story. One is that this alien race, well, one is that the story's fake, but let's assume that it's real. One is that an alien race was flying around looking for a hero. And they picked up this young man and tested him and found him not to be what they were looking for, dropped him back off in the middle of the woods, left him to die, alone and considered insane. However, I actually don't have that read on this story. I don't have this read on that story. When I first read this, and this has been the impression that sat with me. I read this story a couple weeks ago, and I've been thinking about it a lot. I think that they did test him, and I think he passed. But like all heroes' journeys, there's a series of transformation. I think the fulminating illness, the mysterious disease that killed him incredibly quickly was part of that transformation. I don't know why. I don't really have anything to bite into that. I don't know why I have that impression, but I do. Like, maybe it was the bliss that enveloped him to let him know that he was selected. Maybe it was the fact that he was dropped back on Earth. Like, you figure the aliens would have a little more consideration for him than going, you might be our champion. No, you're not. You're garbage. Kick you out. If they thought he had the qualities to be picked out of 7 billion people to be a champion in the first place, you think they would then put him back on Earth and let him live his life? Because obviously they didn't see him as some sort of guinea pig. They wanted him to be that hero. I believe that he was selected, but he had to transform. His death on this planet was not the end. It was the caterpillar turning into the butterfly. So although the KGB may have considered him crazy and his fellow soldiers may have considered him a deserter, and most UFO researchers, if they stumble across this story, may consider it a cautionary tale 
of alien abduction and refusal. I believe that this young man did become that hero, did become that warrior. He went through that transformation on Earth, and in his last moments was brought back aboard that alien craft, new and reborn, to save a galactic civilization. So, to Pavel, that man out there somewhere in the stars, I hope your journey was a good one. I hope you accomplished your mission, and I hope you found a home that accepts you. Because while your mortal body may lie here on Earth, to countless billions across the stars, you are the hero of Gemini. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Stay safe, be safe, be kind, and I will see you on Monday. I love you guys.